Do you have a fetish? Worried you're not normal? Or ever wonder why the hell people have them? In this episode, we talk with humorist, author, and comedian Dylan Brody about his fetish, and TNA weigh in with our own experiences. You're listening to TNA Talk Sex. I'm T. And I'm A. Welcome to episode 121. Yes. Uh, because sex isn't ever just about sex. And so there's a lot to talk about. Yes. 121 episodes of it. Right. Okay. A few business things. Yes. Before we get in. Um, th- uh, thank you for the beautiful reviews that yes. we've been seeing on iTunes. So many sweet, kind, uh, loving iTunes reviews. And, um, and it's so nice to it see, my like, heart. yes, yes, that, you know, that our message and our goals are, are being received, you know, the way that we want them to be. So we just want to say thank you. We put the ask out there and, uh, and you all responded and we thank you for that. And we will continue to put the ask out there because reviews are one of the best ways you can help us. Yeah. Create visibility for us on the crazy iTunes algorithm system. What the fuck? <laughs> God, it's a whole sh- song and dance and I know. and fire. Anyway. And, you, and you only iTunes. yeah, and only you have the tool to help us through those hoops of fire. <laughs> <laughs> right, the review. Uh, anyway, okay. uh, second order of business yes. is I uh, am producing I these lovely and funny how to sens- how to give a mind blowing sensual massage videos that are coming out around the holidays. Uh, maybe afterward, we're still in the editing room, but. Um, Yes, because I've been doing central body work for seven years and I've condensed all of my mastery and wisdom into these gems of information and they're directed by the YouTube sensation Shaylee Shackleford, which she's a sketch comedy guru. She's lovely and yeah. Australian and hot, so go check her out. It's sketch she. But um, you can go to stephanieallen.com slash massage to sign up for, to be on the waiting list. Yeah, for, to make sure you don't miss it. Yes, and also to get my free video where I tell you the number one thing you can do right now differently that will transform your sex life instantly. This is both for men and women, whether you've been married for 20 years or you're still playing the field. So um, you can go to stephanieallen.com slash massage. Stephanie, go ahead. Go there. What? Hmm? Why do I need to know how to have a, how to give a great central massage? Why the fuck wouldn't you? No, I'm kidding. Well, <laughs> know, I'm being Im- so aggressive today. It'll improve your no. sexual prowess you guys, and you'll get what you want from your lover <laughs> by giving more. Lure them in. Yes. Well, I like to be lured in that way. <laughs> they call it seduction. No, um, honestly, central massage is like... A fantastic training ground to increase your sensu- your sensuality for men and women, both. Yeah. And um, becoming a more sensual lover gives you a greater experience as both receiver and giver. So this is the playground for it. And it's honestly, you get a completely different orgasm and a completely different sexual experience on in your sensual massage time than you do in your sexy time. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's an art to it, which I have mastered. <laughs> so you can learn all about it. I can attest to it. Uh, hey, y'all. If you have any questions or thoughts or ideas, uh, at, at the end of the month, we do an Ask TNA episode where we will answer any of your questions, concerns, and even statements uh, we will discuss. So feel free to write in to advice at tatalksex.com. <gasps> so okay. so um, all those fun little nuggets. Now we move on to our exciting, dynamic, wise Dylan Brody guest. Hi. Hello. Th- thank you for sharing with me your nuggets. 
Yes, you're welcome. I have enjoyed your nuggets greatly. Oh, you haven't seen the half of them yet. (laughs) Well, well, I look forward to that. Hello, nice. I love that you're sipping out of the TNA Talk sex mug, and I get to watch that whole thing happen. It's We have, yeah, our faces are on the mug that you're sipping. I am happy to put my lips against your faces. (laughs) That I get to come here to Hollywood to put my lips against your faces is a great joy to me (laughs) for my evening and for my talking into microphones. So I don't even know your your list of accomplishments are so long and amazing. Why, I don't even you. know where to start. Your your first prolific and foremost, creator, creator and storyteller. Yes, you're, you're an amazing storyteller. Thank you. And you are a playwright. I you're am a playwright. An author. You've I, written yes. young adult novels. Yes. You've written. I mean, so no sex in those. Uh, maybe beginner sex. There's sort of beginner sex in the science fiction novel. Uh, and there was one that I wrote that still hasn't been published that had some interesting bondage stuff in it that I, I didn't expect was going to show up in it. But there's a, from, oh, I see what's happening here. Interesting. Oh, this is this is fun. Uh, but, that didn't uh, get published. Um, uh, no, I, don't, <laughs> I would have published it. There's not maybe we will. The <laughs> Thank TNA you so much. Um, <laughs> publishing house. Yeah. There, there's not a lot of sexuality in in my most of my straight ahead writing, um, and in a lot of my storytelling, really. I. When I was a uh, stand-up comic, I cursed a lot mm-hmm. uh, because I thought it was required. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've since pretty much stopped doing that on stage in my. I'm, I'm kind of a prude, weirdly. Well, you've evolved into a prude. I'm. I'm <laughs> I guess <laughs> I'm fairly open, and I'm not. I'm not uh, terribly repressed. I don't object to. Uh, off the center sexuality. I am not anti-gay. I am very pro LGBTQIA <laughs> MD <laughs> rights. Um, I, I genuinely feel that everybody's sexuality is their own thing. But I find my I get a little bit uncomfortable with uh, vul- with just vulgarity. Mm. I just I feel as though that's I understand uh, that. unnecessary. Do you, I hope are we offending you by not even are we a being little vulgar? bit? Actually, is what's funny is vul- I'm the same not. way. Can I say this? I, I, a friend I, yeah, of mine. True. There is Me this too. assumption where, like, I'll blush at certain things he says, and he's like, "You do this show about sex. Why? Why are you blushing?" I'm like, "It's the intent. It's like the way that yes. you're saying it." I'm. I'm. Yeah. I get shy about I, vulgarity. I'm like, "Ooh, I can't." When I was um, <laughs> when I was ta- when, I, we, when we when we were shooting the massage videos, uh, I, I mean, there's a whole cast and crew around us and I'm I mean I wasn't naked but um but yeah I'm, I was so embarrassed and like having to explain like have giving a hand job or you know it's yeah like, oh my god I'm well to be on public display I have to say I do this sketch series with um autocorrect texts that are fucked up by autocorrect and so what I found is accidentally our sketches have you know uh pussy and you know all the whatever uh, shit and all these words where um i'm blushing all the time on set because i'm i have to say it all day we have to do multiple takes of like these vulgar phrases <laughs> gee that is so cute that you're so shy like that <laughs> <laughs> blushing school girl <laughs> okay so speaking of vulgarity actually we are going to be talking about fetishes this episode and dylan is kind enough to share one of his very celebrated and very interesting stories that actually revolves around this topic Yes, and we're going to take an early break, and when we come back... I'll tell you the story of the proudest I've ever been of my dad, and that'll put us in exactly the right position to get this show started. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Uh, 
Yes, we're talking with Dylan Brody. And uh, and if you guys have any questions, I think you want to write us at advice at tatalksex.com. Uh, you're listening to TNA Talk Sex. I'm T. And I'm A. And we're back with TNA Talk Sex. I'm T. And I'm A. And we're talking with Dylan Brody. I'll be playing the part of Dylan Brody throughout the remainder Master of the show. Master storyteller. You opened for, for Dave Sedaris, yeah? I, I have opened for Dave Sedaris. Mm. I saw him last night, actually, uh, and was horribly jealous of the person who was opening for him. Because oh. no matter how much love I get, it is not enough. <laughs> um, a, a truth you found to be, just always be a, a constant in your life. A constant in my life, yes. Uh, he has a new story. I don't know if you're aware of the Emerald Isle series he's been writing about his family and the house, no. he, the beach house he bought for his family on the, uh, in North Carolina. I think I, I read an excerpt uh, in the New Yorker about it. He has. Well, he, 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 some of the stories have been in the New Yorker, mm-hmm. and the new one is just gorgeous and heartbreaking. And I had, I, on the way home, I stopped before I pulled out of the parking lot to email him to say the new story is gorgeous. Nice. Um, He's a lovely, lovely man. Uh, I promised I would share with you the story of the proudest I have ever been of my father. I will do so now. Okay. Um, Understand that my father is an artiste of the highest order. He's a a playwright. He's a novelist. Uh, Family history has it that he was a terrific actor. Uh, But when he needed to support a family, he realized he needed something steady. So he went into academia and allowed that to support his writing habit. He has always said that because he is making a living in academia, he was able to devote himself to his art in a way that he wouldn't be able to if he was dependent on the marketplace. And he believed in artistic integrity and raised me from a very early age to believe that nothing is more important than intellectual honesty or at the very least consistency. Now, I have a story that I will tell you in a moment uh, that began to get a lot of airplay on uh, on Sirius XM and a couple of times on NPR. Uh, and it was a story, uh, it was originally called the story of Jeff Spicker's Broken and the man we will call Arthur Brown. None of that matters, and I will not give you the whole pre-ramble on the story that would make sense of that title. Um, but the story... Uh, was getting airplay on national public radio as a result of which my father heard it because really the only exposure my parents have to media at all is national public radio uh, as a result of which when I mention anybody that I am working with that I'm excited about, they say, never heard of them. Um, <laughs> now, the, the story ultimately was this. It was about the the early days of Facebook for me, which was, I don't, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, I first signed on to Facebook. And when I first joined Facebook, I wasn't quite clear on what was going on. And I began to sort of look around for how do you meet people on Facebook? How do you find people you know and knew? And, but there were other people who had been on Facebook for a while and they knew what was going on. So I began to get requests from people I hadn't spoken to in a long time. One of the first people to contact me was a woman named Katinka Newhoff, whom I knew in college. And Katinka sent me a friend request. Uh, She asked if I would friend her, and I agreed to do I wasn't sure I was doing it right, because I was raised in a time when friend was a noun. 
um, <laughs> that I agreed to friend her. Uh, and, uh, and then I was told that if you want people to show up regularly in your feed, um, which was uh, confusing to me because I grew up in a time when feed was a verb, then uh, <laughs> you had to uh, give them a lot of likes, which was also confusing to me because, again, like used to be a verb. Um, and I started liking her uh, photos uh, by giving them likes. And she sent me a private message, and we started to chat, and we were making friends uh, after years of not having seen each other, decades. And after some exchange and some wittiness and some bantering, she asked me why we hadn't been closer friends in college. And then I had to confess the shameful, awful truth about just how much she had intimidated me in college. Katinka and I were in Grace Paley's creative writing class together, uh, and Katinka was a more talented, more disciplined writer than I will ever believe myself to be. She once came into class with a story that she read about a, a woman in a wheelchair who gets her first handicapped accessible apartment, and she rolls around on the hardwood floor, uh, opening up all the taps and turning on all the lights because she can. And then she sits alone in her well-lit living room and listens to the water run. And anyone who can write an image like that that hangs with me for 25-something years is a better writer than I will ever believe myself to be. So she intimidated me on that level. Also, Katinka has fairly severe... Uh, spastic cerebral palsy. She walks with heavy aluminum uh, leg braces and forearm crutches. Uh, and I have a deep-seated fetishistic attraction to disabled women. And while her disability is not the one that most gets to me, it was enough to leave me tongue-tied and a little confused. So she intimidated me on that level as well. So I typed all of this into a message to her and expected never to hear from her again. Instead, I got back a message from her saying that she had been working on a play about disabled people and the people who are attracted to them, and asked if I would like to read it, and I said, yes, I would, and she sent it to me, and it was a pretty good play, and I sent it back, I told her I enjoyed it, and we continued to chat, and continued to be funny together, and became closer friends online, and eventually I, I had the guts to to tell her that she has the most onomatopoetic name of anyone I've ever met. And she said that, in fact, in college, I had shouted a version of this joke to her across the lawn at Sarah Lawrence College, and that uh, she uses it when she has public speaking gigs. She opens by saying, I'm Katinka, my name sounds like me walking. And then she demonstrates across the stage, Katinka, 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 and it gets a big laugh and dispels the tension in the room. <laughs> And I was thrilled, first, first of all, to be getting a laugh, and mostly, I guess, to know that I had given her an image that had hung with her for 25-something years. I was also pleased to know that I had had the guts to do that joke that long ago. I thought I had really only more recently gotten the courage to do those sort of jokes when I started talking about the fact that my father... Uh, taught arts at MIT, and he'd gotten the job when someone saw his Cambridge University Physics Department production of The Pirates of Penzance, starring Professor Stephen Hawking as the Pirate King. 
the singing wasn't great, but the choreography was innovative. And not everybody is comfortable laughing at that joke, and I know there will be listeners who want to write letters, but I can tell you that uh, Professor Stephen Hawking himself has heard me do that joke, and he tells me I'm a very funny man. (laughs) Although, in fairness, it's impossible to tell when he's being sarcastic. In any case, (laughs) while I'm having this ongoing dialogue with Katinka, I get a private message and a friend request from woman I was deeply in love with before I met my wife. Um, I met her when I was a road comic and she lived in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. She was stunning. She had no feet and one arm, but she could dance. And I loved to watch her cut bagels. I remember every time we walked past one of those little corner boutiques with the half-constructed mannequins, she would point and say, look, clothes for me. And I accepted her friend request and then I went to her page and it turns out she was really funny and smart and witty and beautiful. I wasn't just beguiled by the wonder of her asymmetry. And then I started to look up people that I remembered. I found uh, Susan Vosberg, the first woman I was ever in love with in college. Uh, She wasn't disabled. She had a cleft palate, so she was weird looking, but uh, I don't know that that counts. And we began to chat online. And then she came out to visit Los Angeles with her husband for something. And we met for coffee. And I saw her across the Starbucks. And I thought, boy, that is a weird-looking human being. And then I sat with her. And 10 minutes later, she made me laugh so hard, I pushed latte foam through my nose. And when I looked up, she was just Vosberg again. And she was beautiful. And then I got a private message from this man named Arthur Brown. And he said, Dylan Brody, it's Arthur Brown. I don't know if you'll remember me. You're one of those people I always wondered what happened to him after prep school. And I sent back a note that said, Arthur, it's a delight to hear from you. Uh, This may seem like a weird question, but are you the only person I ever blew? And he said, the only one. You did it so well, I remember it fondly. And I said, well, that's not saying anything. When you're in high school, you remember them all well. You don't have the bar set that high, and even the least memorable fondling is remembered fondly. (laughs) But I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it. I was beginning to fear that you were a figment of my imagination. um, Because I... uh, A couple of years ago, got an email from a guy named... Arthur Brown, who said we had met at a poker game and he wanted to be on my mailing list. And I asked him this question. And then I never heard from him again. (laughs) And then I ran into someone from high school and uh, they mentioned Arnie Gray. And I thought, Arnie Gray, Arthur Brown, I transposed the names. I'm an idiot. So I sent Arnie Gray a letter asking him this question. And he got back to me and said it wasn't him. uh, He's straight and happily married and has kids. He is involved in musical theater in New York, so I submitted my musical to him. And I was beginning to think I'd made you up entirely. And since I'm a happily married man, what was my imagination doing creating such figments? And he assured me that, no, he's very real. He said that uh, he has always been cursed or perhaps blessed with the ability to make straight men do things they wouldn't ordinarily do. And 
he suggested that perhaps it had just been his 1970s short shorts and rugby shirt that had gotten to me. And I assured him that no, me blowing him in high school was not a function of his wardrobe. It was just me as an adolescent trying to be more like my father. My, my dad is, is, is gay and claims to be bisexual to spare my mother's feelings, I told Arthur. They live together to this day in Boston at the intersection of latency and denial. And immediately, Arthur hit me back with a note that said, OMG, exclamation point. There's a great Turkish restaurant on that block. And I found myself laughing alone in my office with my dogs looking at me a bit confused. It was lovely to find out that all these people that I knew so long ago were decent humans and that I really did, even when I was making odd choices and indulging strange fetishes, I had fairly good taste in people. And that was the sort of the structure and the idea of this story. And it had aired on NPR. And my father called me and said, uh, Dylan, could you not talk about my sexuality in your act anymore, please? And I said, well, I have to think about that because I'm not really comfortable just allowing people to censor me. And he said, I'm not trying to censor you, Dylan. Your mother gets very upset when she hears you say these things. And I said, well, I'm sorry if you get some blowback at home over this stuff, but I'm going to have to think about it because censorship is inherently problematic. And he said, Dylan, it's not about censorship. I'm trying to protect myself here. And I said, and that's never what people are doing when they impose censorship. And then there was this pause on the line. And my father, 79 years old at the time, took a deep breath and said, no, you're right. Right you are. You say whatever you have to say to tell the truth on stage. I'll deal with whatever comes up here. And there was my father an aging man in a two-person apartment filled with long-standing family dynamic and secrets that are shared and kept. And still, he was determined that nothing was more important than to be intellectually honest, or at the very least consistent, and I had never been more proud. It's beautiful. (laughs) So does that open up a pathway to this conversation? It does. All right. Thank you. I thought it might. Thank you for all that honesty. You're welcome. That's what I try desperately to do for a living. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... Can we ask, can I ask you about the fetish? Yes. I thought, I thought that's why I had driven here. I didn't hear any, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's not talk about a fetish. <laughs> um, so, um, hmm, my first question would be, have you always, I guess, have you, have you always had this sort of fetish? Oh, or, yes. Yeah? I, um, yes. I, I have uh, been turned on by women missing limbs from my earliest memories. Really? Um, 
in second grade, there was fantasy going on that I knew could instantly cause a heart on. Um, and it already felt like familiar territory. Wow. Um, it, it feels so hardwired that it registers to me as if it were a, 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 um, not just a, a predilection, but a, a, a sexual preference. It's, it's almost a gender preference. Hmm. Um, though, you know, I find other women attractive, certainly. My wife has all her original parts. Her, her only flaw is her physical perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and the fact that she's always right. Um, uh, but uh, so um, even then, it felt like something I was revisiting. It didn't feel like, a, like an idea I had just had. It felt like something I was rediscovering even in that moment. Hmm. Uh, and I've spent time in therapy talking about it and discussing the origins of it and so on and trying to suss it out. Um, what came out of that? Well, I can... I can hmm. Do you want events or do you want <laughs> psychological insight? Because there are both that are all connected up and it's very complicated, but I'm happy yeah. to go into it. No, I guess like on a more on a let's back it up a bit um, on a more general scale. Like, yeah, I guess my question was, did you so did you find you don't have to go into them, but did I'm you find specific did you find specific things or was it more like, nope, this is just I've always felt this way. I found specific things that I strongly suspect were influential in the imprinting of this particular fetish. Oh, wow. Okay. Um and at the same time, uh, it feels as though I was always this way. Hmm. So, uh, But you felt it was something you needed to work on, like the fact that you went to therapy rather than kind of piloting into it. Well, th- 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 that's the most interesting question anyone has ever asked me on this. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> for a long time, I felt it was something I needed to fix because uh, it brought with it great shame. There was one therapist who said if it didn't have shame, it wouldn't be a fetish. It would just be something you're into, which hmm. was sort of a relief to me in some ways. Um, but uh, it came with great shame. And part of that shame lies in the fact that I consider myself a feminist. I consider myself uh, somebody who appreciates a whole person and their capabilities and their strength and their... Uh, everything about them and their minds. And intellectually, I feel as though I should, in giant quotation marks, be able to be attracted to anyone of any gender as long as they're interesting. And um, uh, and it bothers me that there is any purely physical uh, aspect of, of appearance that would get to me. Mm. That would, you know, get to me above all else. You know, that just somehow that strikes me as wrong and therefore something that should be fixed for many years. That was that was deeply troubling. Yeah. To me. Um, I mean, on a on a less maybe controversial level, I, I feel similar. Like I have moments where I go, well, I don't know why I can't be attracted to this person. Like their mind, everything, you know, everything's kind of in a, in alignment. But I, I'm, I don't want to fuck them. Yeah. Speaking of the, yeah, <laughs> the no, hour. there, there, I, and it might be a smell, or it might yeah. be the way they dress, or it might be that you like a particular body type, and it, it's the human mind and psyche and sexual being is complicated and Elaborate. troubling. <laughs> um, <laughs> troubling. <laughs> so, uh, so in when I was younger, partly because understand you are both significantly younger than I am. The I did not have my first 
14-4 screaming modem until I was 28 and dating the woman to whom I am now married. Sorry, what is a 14-4 uh, like screaming? A mo- like internet. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, okay. That, was, that was the first time. <laughs> I thought that's what you meant. I just, that was the first time. Where it goes, ree, ree. Oh, yeah. That was the first time I found out that there is a huge number of people who have similar feelings. Mm. Up until then, I could literally list and frequently did as I went to sleep every amputee I had ever seen in my life. The, the, the scarcity of the thing that attracted me led me to believe that if I was going to hold out for that, I was going to be alone my whole life. In addition, it bears mentioning that, uh, that, uh, seduction and, uh, flirtation and new relationship, the new relationship smell can get me turned on for a while. And then the fetish starts to want to be expressed and explored. So I kept having these relationships that I thought were going to be great. Everything was going to be fine. And then at a certain point, I would just be so uninterested in this this... person who has all their damn limbs. And it's just, that's (laughs) not interesting at all. Over in the right Um, field. So I needed, I, I wanted to get into therapy to find out if it was possible to get past this, to have a decent relationship outside of the fetish, if I needed to explore the fetish. At one point after I'd broken up with a woman, uh, I went into therapy, I was dead broke, and I went into therapy about this. And the therapist said, okay, first of all, you don't need in your life the stress of paying for me every week. Um, Wow. You have two options. If it's going to cause you too much longing and misery not to explore this, go explore it. If it's going to cause you too much shame and guilt and self-loathing to explore it, don't explore it. There's no morality involved here. Mm, do what feels good. Um, now pay me for the minutes we've been together <laughs> and go away. Yeah, for the for the short form advice. Um, and uh, and then I began to explore, and that's when I got on the road again, and I met the woman that I fell in love with in in Utah. But because there was so much shame still involved, I started that relationship with a lie in place, and she, I don't know exactly how much she was aware of that, but. Uh, as a result, she broke up with me, and I was heartbroken. And on the rebound, I met this woman that I fell in love with. Uh, and then I got my first modem. And by the time I was discovering that there was a community of people like me, and there were places where there were places online where amputees and the people who find them attractive were meeting each other. Wow. I was committed to getting married to somebody that I loved and wasn't going to screw up a great relationship over this purely physical thing that I still thought was uh, um, unlikely to be able to take me anywhere decent. Um, And weirdly, in many ways, wound up in a relationship very much like my father's. Mm. Wow! With the woman that you married, with the woman that I married, who, are you still married? Yes. But okay. do you do you have more le- more transparency or 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 honesty between you than maybe your parents did? You know, is well, there sort of I, an, a, a, a like think, a 2.0 I version? think my mom knows about my dad and would prefer that he not talk about it all the time, <laughs> and my wife knows and would prefer that I not talk about it all the time. Right. Um, 
Frankly, I think my parents have probably worked out their sex life better than my wife and I have at this point. <laughs> but have you? But have you and your wife specifically had conversations about this, or does she just hear about it through oh, when it airs? I um, when it airs. Well, I mean, like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, funny. when you when you um, tell stories about it, you know, on uh, air. And- I, I I will actually uh, I will be more transparent here than I usually am. Um, uh. I, I told my wife, she wasn't yet my wife, this, I, t- I told her about I thought it was on our first date. She says it was our second date um, because I needed it to be out in the open because I was definitely not going to start a relationship with somebody I really liked with this lie hanging over us, with this mm. secret hanging over me. Yeah. If she wasn't going to accept that about me, then... Don't endeavor. Screw yeah. it. Um, and she immediately and without hesitation said, well, I could bind something up, I guess. And Aww. I was like, oh, that is so wow. sweet. That is a willing, yeah. sweet. that is accepting and willing <laughs> and kind, and I am in. Yeah. Um, Good answer. And uh, for several years, there was wonderful sex and bondage play and... Uh, she had her own uh, realm of, of uh, power exchange fantasy that she was into, and all was good. And then at a certain point, she was in therapy and said, you know, I'm not comfortable doing this. It makes me feel so uncomfortable afterwards, hmm. all of it. Hmm. I just want to be normal people. Um, and then the shame swept back in on me. And, yeah. Um, and in many ways, our sex life just fell apart. Um, we had one joint therapy session. Uh, her therapist and my therapist were a couple that we saw separately. She was seeing the woman. I was seeing the man. And we did a joint therapy session that was deeply damaging to me. Hmm. Um, wow. Uh, and to some degree, I still have not recovered from it. And we're talking... 14 or 15 years ago. Um, but it, uh, uh, I now deal with it with my not terrible therapist. Um, but it was deeply damaging to me. Um, and uh, and it's be- it, it, it has become an issue, although I am far more sanguine with the fetish now than I was when I was younger, uh, partly because I insist on speaking about it as though there is no shame. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys can see... Uh, my upper lip always sweats as though I'm Chris Christie putting on his socks. <laughs> but um, when I talk about this, I flush and I sweat and it makes wow. me very uncomfortable and filled with shame. But Aww. I also know that almost every male I have ever met and probably every male in the Western world has some kind of weird damn fetish of which they are deeply ashamed and I am convinced that it is part of the human condition. And the only way we can get past the, the puritanical repression of modern America is by behaving as though we are not ashamed so that we give each other the safe space to be who we are and like what we like and enjoy what we enjoy. Um, and at the moment, I feel like there are very few people doing it. It's happening a little bit in the podcast realm. Hey. But certainly in the world of broadcast television, if you look at uh, uh, any of the, the, the big three cable network uh, uh, broadcast networks and most of the cable networks, 
what you have are hour-long uh, police dramas that talk about fetish as... Like the criminals. An indication that somebody is psychotic and probably a serial killer, while the cops, who, according to these shows, are just the paragon of morality and ethics always, are altruistic and have apparently no sex life whatsoever. Even if they're married and have kids, (laughs) there's no indication that they have any real sexual interest, but they have derisive judgment toward the the criminals who like feet or are wrapping themselves in women's nylons before they kill someone. Um, and it, it's, it's embedding in the zeitgeist this idea that what you like is shameful. Right. Yeah, or well, dangerous. There is, um, we did, I did a, a little bit of research, and there is some interesting um, facts around that. Um, but we're going to take a break first, and then when we come back, uh, I want to share some of the stuff that we found. Yeah. And, um, and also share, some, I guess, some of the experiences I've had with clients that um, have come to me with, with different yeah, fetishes fetish. and stuff. And, and my, uh, my own big burning question, Oh, I guess. It's a larger question. But anyway. but I, I don't understand. There's going to be part of this that's not me talking about myself? <laughs> Only a little. Okay. Only, well, yeah, it's going to be directed back at you okay, to then answer as, your own opinions. As long as I know eventually it gets back to my little narcissism parade, we're all good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you keep it interesting, though. So, so No, I, I'm like sitting back here. I'm like, I just, can I just, just go, please take the show. Just yeah. talk. I'm like <laughs> mesmerized. Um, but so we're taking a break. That's my point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> quickly, uh, you can write us at advice at tatalksex.com. Um, and don't forget to go to uh, stephanieallen.com slash massage or anywhere on that site to sign up for to get on the waiting list for the central massage. How to blow someone's mind videos that are coming yes. out around the holidays, and uh, uh, and we're talking with Dylan Brody, and you can find uh, his content um, at CDs. Dylan, yeah, go sorry ahead. at dylanbrody.com, but also amazon.com and at rooftop comedy. Okay, we'll be right back. This is TNA Talk Sex. Welcome back to TNA Talk Sex. We're talking with Dylan Brody. I'll be playing the part of Dylan Brody for the remainder of the show. You're so good at it. And A, me of TNA. Yes. Tell us about some of the fetishes you've encountered. Well, okay. Well, first of all, um, what, what, what I thought was interesting when, when I was looking online for some of this stuff was the there's a distinction made between a fantasy and a fetish. Yeah. And a it's fantasy such- is something that you may... This is... Well, this was defined by uh, uh, Dr. Emily Morse, who does sex with Emily. Um she was saying uh, in an article on askmen.com that fantasy is something that you think about often when you're having sex and, um, and a fetish is something that, well, and, and the fantasy, you may not even ever want to see the light of day. You may never want that to happen. Um, like my rape fantasy, (laughs) um, which is, you know, not uncommon. A lot of women have it, but, um, but a fetish is something that you depend on in order to have arousal or um, mm. orgasm. Yes, but it, be- it becomes it's a paraphilia. 
is okay. the yeah. word you're looking Isn't for. Isn't that the yeah. word that you, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. I don't know. I yes. Know. Um, but, but it sounds to me, Dylan, that like you, you does, do you require this? Because you, you mean, uh, you were having a healthy relationship with your wife and. If, uh, but with, that, without the new relationship smell, I seem to require it. Oh. Okay. Um, so once things fade and get into a more then sort of I'm, normal then pace. The, yeah. Um, then, okay. Once it's not discovery anymore. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, but uh, I think there's actually, uh, with all due respect to Emily. Sure, um, yeah. Uh, and I missed, I lost her last name. I should probably Morse. call her doctor something, not uh, Dr. Morse, not, not Emily. I've never met the No, she goes woman. by, she goes by. Yeah. Sex with Emily. Right. Um, yeah. I think it's sad that... Uh, that Dr. Morse only has sex with Emily. Um, <laughs> uh, I, um, my understanding is that fetishism is about uh, the the objectification of the, the sexualization of an object, mm. um, even if it is a part of the body or you know uh, or a, a, a specific aspect, uh, so that. Uh, for some people, if it's you know boots or uh, armpits or what have you, um, a paraphilia um, is can include actions that are required. Right. Okay. So uh, I I believe every f- true fetish is a paraphilia. Not every paraphilia it's is a, a fetish. fetish. And fantasies, everybody's got them. Not everybody wants to do them. Right. You okay. Know. That yes, um, and. You know, it's funny because I, 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 you know, Tia, I was asking before we started the show, I'm like, gosh, do I, do I have a fetish? And by those definitions, I would say I don't, but I have had clients in the past, not often because I'm honestly not like, I don't have a lot of experience. I've never, I haven't had a lot of experience dealing with partners who have fetishes or what's the other word? Paraphilia. 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 Um, And so I've been a little uncomfortable because I just haven't been confident that I could, you know, give them an experience that, that like is going to please them. I I don't know, just like, if, you know, you would maybe be more comfortable with someone who has more experience in this, but I have dabbled a little bit, but if it's always left me in a very curious place of like, where, like, where does this come from or what's going on? Because it does seem to me like, and, and this sort of mimics what I was reading, but that it is a very, can come from a very Pavlovian response. Holy Pavlovian. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where it's like, I, it seems very clear to me that something happened to program this person to wire them for, to be aroused when this happens. And, um, and so the question for me has always been, and it's a genuinely open-ended question that is, yeah, will we ever know the answer? But for me is, is it, yeah is it it does it serve us to indulge these or does it hurt us or is it helpful to indulge them and is it more hurtful to repress them and i think that repressing anything is never right that's never an answer like a safe space to exercise that interest right first of all let me say that i just found the word that i was looking for 14 and a half minutes ago i think (laughs) Uh, uh, i know the feeling when uh when I discovered this in myself, uh, I was so young that it feels like an orientation. Right. Not like a, just a preference. It right. feels like an orientation. An orientation was the word that you were looking for. That was for. the word I was looking for. Right. And 
I think it is always healthier to explore than to deny. I agree. Um, now, in the... I'm sorry, were you finished? Because I interrupted. I, I mean, I, yes, it was a sort of a... No, I'm... I'm int- please, carry on. Um, I'm interested to hear your my, take on that. Uh, I can tell you the time when I was young when I first saw an amputee. I can tell you what that moment was about. I can tell you uh, where I was and who I was with and everything that happened. And I remember afterwards, I was very young uh, and at a beach... Um, I I remember the sensation of the cold window of the car afterwards against my forehead as I was reviewing the imagery in my head, right? And can I ask you a clarifying question? Yes. In this event that you remember, was there arousal, sexual arousal tied to it? No. Not that I'm aware of in remembering it, but I... Okay, let's talk about the event and then I'll talk about the things that I think tied me to that as an interest and we'll see how long I can go before <laughs> I'm self-conscious. Um, <laughs> I was very young. I was, it was pre-second grade um, at the beach at Moreau Lake, upstate New York. Uh, so it's lots of people in bathing suits and I suspect lots of pheromones in the air. Um. I went with my dad to, I don't know if it was the bathroom or if it was to get something at a, a, you know, snack concession stand, but we were now walking back from somewhere to the blanket where my mother was waiting. There was a young man on crutches, missing most of his foot. And I was fascinated. And I asked my dad about it. And he gave me some piece of information about how this can happen in the world. I don't know what he said at that moment. We got back to the blanket, and he's, and I think my mom could see that something was weird in my face and said, what happened? And Dad said, oh, it's nothing. Dylan just saw his first freak. And my mother said, oh, stop it, Alan. And in that moment, there was... My dad clearly making light of something and trying to throw it away and it affecting my mother in a way that made her hostile toward him and ashamed. There's more in thinking back on it, which is that my father, I did not know yet at the time, was gay. And this young man was younger than my dad, but grown up and thin and probably attractive. And either way, we're on this beach with all these bodies around us, and I'm sure I was picking up all kinds of sexual mm. thought from my dad. Wow, interesting. And then my mother's shame about it. Mm. So all of that happened in that moment. Mm. Now, at the same time, uh, my father was a, a far-left liberal feminist, uh, who uh, spoke often about a, an event with a, a leader of the feminist movement in in upstate New York at the time, in which he asked what he could do as a straight white as a, as a white male uh, for the the feminist movement, and she said, "What are you willing to give up?" 
And this was an important moment for him. I don't know that he ever gave anything up, but it was it was a <laughs> mm-hmm. telling moment for him about just how privileged he was and how much it meant to him. So he wasn't invested in the in the feminist movement. My mother was, while she wanted to be a 1950s housewife, in many ways controlling and narcissistic and the center of the household in many, many ways. My sister... Uh, few years older than I am, and gay, was a, a militant feminist from the time she was nine. <laughs> so, you know, we would watch television and commercials would come, that's so sexist, she would say, to every commercial. <laughs> um, and as a result, I am a, a child, a male child in a very conservative town, the only liberal family in this very conservative town, being bombarded with uh, feminist uh, ide- ideology that made me ashamed of my masculinity uh, and afraid of any power I might have as a male. At the same time that uh, hormonally and uh, instinctively, I was looking to feel strong and powerful and dominant. And if I can't be dominant by gender, this is a way that I can feel powerful and protective and mm. more able than the woman I am with. Wow. Uh, and have all those feelings of nurturing, I must take care of this person that m- drive most men to get regular jobs early in their lives because <laughs> there's this woman that depends on them that they're not afraid to see as dependent and weak in some way. But I'm not allowed any of that. So I was able to conflate all of these things at some very early age into a way that I could be turned on, that I could feel that masculine impulse um, without it being uh, gender uh, uh, dominance, but rather ability dominance. Right. Interesting. So let me thank you for that. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I see a lot of thought has gone into it. Um, Okay. So. hmm. And by the way, in that session with uh, my uh, wife and the two therapists, as I was beginning to unwrap all of that, her therapist was staring at me with this look of horror and disgust on her face that just made me want to fucking Slapper. kill myself no yeah. I, it makes me so i hear this so often from the people telling me their therapist stories and how they're so judgmental because what the fuck my are current people therapist doing is this? wonderful i love my current therapist <laughs> current therapist yay um okay so what 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 comes to mind for me and i'll spell this out so that this doesn't i want it needs to be clear um is that if it's, this is a uh, you know, you 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 reference these events that um, could have possibly had quite an impact on this draw or this attraction for you. And like I I, I recently was with a guy who I, I talked about in the last episode, mm-hmm. um, where he re- wanted to really be hit in the balls hard, like to be brought to his knees, and this was a thing for him. It was a fetish, and he also specifically stated uh, he he. Well, he says it. He says he wasn't ashamed. He didn't appear to be ashamed, but which is great. But um, 
he did cite a specific event that happened when he was a very young child and he had this sort of romantic tryst with this young girl. It was a two-way thing. They were both interested in each other and her, they would flirt and kind of go back and forth. And, and then she would occasionally just hit him in the balls as part of her <laughs> way of flirting and creating connection. I don't believe she was flirting correctly. <laughs> yeah, I sort of exactly. did like, I like to, I would like sort of do like face slapping. Like I'd hit the guys in the Well, I think like kids do that. Like, yeah, I mean, snacks, you know, sort of aggressive, snacks. whatever to, you know, in the same like, you know, when you verbally even attack each other when yeah. you really like, you know, whatever you be mean to the person you like. But um, so, but this wired him and he was aware of it. And he's like, yeah, just sort of wired me to really like this. And so, um, I, so yeah, so we even went to this whole role play thing where I sort of played that role for him. But, um, but what's interesting to me is that it's like, okay, well, if this is, if, if these things are rooted in a specific experience and it is a Pavlovian conditioning thing, we can recondition, right? This is a behavior, this is behavioral therapy. But, but can I, can I just say that my, my, my interest in this and my questioning in this line isn't to try to fix something because I think it's wrong. But my, but my, my, um, my concern is, well, for anything in life, that if there's something in our life that is keeping us from being able to make a choice and to do whatever we want to do, then I always, personally, this is my personal MO, is I always want to look at that and be like, well, how can I be liberated from that? And how can I so that yeah. I can have a choice, you know, even in yeah, my own, you, like there's shit, there's, the, yeah, there's guys, certain the trigger relationship trends that I'm attracted to, or, you know what I mean? It's the same, it's the same equation. So I guess, I don't know what, it, what do, can, can you share your experience in, in the sense of, is that, does that sound totally Bogus. impossible or, or, in your experience, yeah. In my in my experience, and or unwanted, my or? my anecdotal extended experience from people among the the community of of those with it, it's un, unchangeable. Hmm. It's, um, fetishes are so deeply and early hardwired; um, they become hardwired. It's not like you're born with them. I don't believe. Who knows? Um, but they 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 become wired so early and uh and before we are cognizant enough of our own inner workings to want to correct them uh or alter them alter them is a better word uh we review them so many times hmm. that the the pathways and the grooves and the the synaptic connections the pathways, yeah. are uh, really concrete. Yeah, um, and I do not believe. I th- I think it would be as silly to try to fix one's real fetishes. And you know, there are people who just have sort of an interest in something, and that may or may not be alterable. But I think to try to undo one's fetishes is as silly as Mike Pence saying you can <laughs> shock people into being straight. Right, right. Um, okay. uh, yeah, I believe And in- by the way, that's, uh, he believed that, that you could do that through a- electrical shock. I'm not saying uh. that he thought you could just startle people <laughs> and they would suddenly go, oh, I like girls. Um, <laughs> but, that he, you know, I think it's, I, I think, uh, I think it runs much too deep and much too, uh, solidly in the psyche and the and the 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 individual's self. 
well, I to think, be undone. I think of, you know, neuroplasticity. Yes, it exists. But to what extent? I mean, your brain is forming at a certain age. And then, you know, I, I guess I sort of feel like there's a level of plasticity, but how much? You and maybe and maybe in order to excavate the deeper things, you have to go to such a great effort. You have to ask yourself kind of what your therapist said originally, which was, is it is it it so deep that you need to exercise it, or can you you know and you make that choice in your life? Right. All of this conversation makes me think about something. I would never think of them as fetishes, but certain things I need to orgasm, right? Or or it makes me think of predilections that you know that I want from my partners to... What's to it come. called again? There's the fetish and the... P- paraphilia. Why can't I get that word? Paraphilia. It's new. Oy. You'll learn. Oy. It's um, like love. Paraphilia. Like love. Okay. Okay. Does that help? I, yes, I think okay. it will. Yeah. Um, and like what? Like I mentioned, like I find that um, like I need to have like the fingers of the person I'm having sex with in my mouth. You have to have them? <laughs> kind of. I mean, I can without it, but I'm like, where are your fingers? You know, <laughs> like, like it's going to get me there more readily. And I have to work really nice. hard to stay focused if they don't just do that for me. You know, and and so and there'll be times where I like say it. I'm like, why do I have to say it again? Like, I just get annoyed. Um, And I think for a while I would like try and keep I mean, I like to maintain like a diversity of orgasmic ways or or being open. But but there's a thing that you need. Yeah. At the end, I'm like, okay, let's do this. Can I? Oh, and then I also think, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I said that. I, I just was also there's one little thing I thought about, which is it's really your story that made me kind of reminisce about it. And I go, well, you know, there's something about having to, you know, uh, not necessarily beg, but like ask permission to orgasm. And I want my partner to like tell me that it's, you know, it's okay. Like now is good. Yeah. And, (laughs) and so I think I never quite admitted it so crystal clear as that, but I'm like, that's going to help me get off. Like it's going to take me longer if I don't request that or kind of make it known. So then you, then you go, that's hardwiring in a way. Like I could, I could look back at origins in my youth that, you know, that lead to that. Well, I wonder also, like, so my personal philosophy about human beingness in general um, is, and also I, sexually. I prefer human beingosity. Beingosity. <laughs> um, is that there's, we, there's, I feel there's this animal, carnal, animal side to us. And I think there's also this uh, what is energetic, spiritual, whatever, unseen energetic side to us and so when i hear you t talking about your experiences and whatnot it's it's all of this like even being wired and you know referring to ourselves as a computer or an animal it it is to me i'm like okay well maybe it's just that our uh, we spending are we coming from a very carnal sex a carnal animalistic side to us and it, what if what would happen if we focus more on the connected side and the spiritual side and like does does that I don't know does that influence the need for well these tendencies like for example when you orgasm tea or I, in your experience may I, I just think there's there's balance I prefer to seek balance of the two and actually when you're talking about animal it makes me think of function right so to the animal based carnal side is also like but my, I have to eat I have to I shit, hear you I but, but, to, but 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 my specific question yeah. is if you are focusing on this more spiritual like uh, I don't want to say spiritual connected the non-physical elements of sex sort of does that affect anything for you like does uh, that's part of why there's shame because it feels as though 
that should be able to solve it all to okay. me, right? But it doesn't. Um, th- but I am not particularly spiritual. I am, I am an atheist. I'm so thoroughly an atheist that when people tell me they believe in God, I don't believe them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's been a play in my mind. Uh, when I was younger, I explored various spirituality. That's a new plural right there. <laughs> um, and the Ooh. car alarm approves. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if you can hear the alarm going um, off. But, but uh, and there was a, th- a part of me that thought, what if there are people who have this particular fetish because there are people in the world missing limbs and we are designed for each other? Yeah, I, yes, thought about which, I had that thought. Which is from a... a, a perspective of connectedness and what if there is what if there is somebody out there who is alone right now because i am with the wrong person which you know assumes a (laughs) a, an overarching intellect behind human existence that i don't believe exists but uh but it is the thing that gives me permission to have this attraction within my psyche. Hmm. Hmm. Um, the idea that uh, if there is such a uh, a working to the world, then eventually that's going to figure itself out. And I don't need to worry about whether I'm in the wrong place or doing the wrong thing with it, because eventually, if, if, if the one is intellectually designed by the universe, then surely... The outcome is as well. Um, so, you know, there are ways that that ideas of spirituality, of uh, of airy fairiness, can serve us in, in in just in our own lives as how we relate to the world around us and function. Um, but I don't think it actually affects the. I I, I think that's something we do to comfort ourselves. <laughs> And not and not a real thing. Mm. I think I think it's more animal and computer than. Hmm. Then we'll agree we to wa- disagree. Wanna... <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and, What's I, funny is I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle. Like so, my my I'm point not being... saying that there's not both. I said there's both for me. No, I'm I know. Not, I'm negating the animal side. I'm, I'm breathing and pooping no, I, and eating. But uh, right, but I, I guess it's... thank you for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just keeps interest... the show going. For me, I think it's like yeah. If you're living heavily in this one space. Can you lean to the other to find, you know, the balance on the seesaw? For sure. Um, it depends on what you're doing. And right. And then I like. and then that kind of which is all what we've been discussing, which is, you know, indulging that interest in a safe space or, you know, creating a, an environment that allows you to explore it the same way you learn a skill set. And, and I will bet that somewhere there is someone whose fetish is finding balance on a seesaw. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. They're can every- I, yes. Go can on. I say that the foot fetish thing that people kind of, I feel like it yeah, gets I, thrown around like those weirdos are into feet. It's so common. Yeah. But oh my God, I, let me, I actually think it's kind of brilliant and logical to the human existence really and condition. What you think about this because, no yeah, because I think about something like reflexology and they talk about the map of the foot connecting to the rest of your body in all these ways. And I go, I think that, foot fetishists might be genius you know <laughs> like i think they're they're tapping into like our like the the, the key to our our, our function body. yeah our first, whole body first so of to, all, to I, I do like them. feet the yeah. only thing i like more than feet is not any feet um <laughs> but uh i think that's right also there's a thing that that uh is interesting in that the 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 
brain pathways that handle the feet are very close to the brain pathways that handle the genitals. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a result of which, uh, people who have lost both legs often become hypersexual. Oh, Oh, hypersexual. Because Because the energy is being channeled elsewhere. Because suddenly the the brain is rewiring through the the nervous system and it's finding its way through that pathway because this one isn't feeding it any information anymore. Wow. Um, Cool. That, that is all. <laughs> um, so I, I I wanted to go through a list of the top ten fetishes that I found. Please do. Online. I mean, there's like a million different sources for this, but um, this was also from AskMen.com. But um, so the number one was foot fetish. Oh, uh-huh. sorry. We want to take a break. Should we take a break and then we read them? And then we'll is come that, back. Sorry, I gave them the This is so interesting. This is a longer show than normal. But I know it is, I, but, I feel it, like but I'm fascinated by it. And, and it, so thank gonna... you, Dylan, because it's been so, so informative for me personally. I like it anytime anyone tells me anything about me is longer than normal. <laughs> <laughs> well said. We're going to take a mini break and we'll be back with that list. Yes, and uh, email advice at tatalksex.com uh, yeah, to this... get your questions in for the end of the month. month? show um, and also go to stephanieallen.com slash massage to get on the waiting list to get the videos on how to blow someone's mind with sensual massage sensual you're saying sensual sensual what as but what did you I, 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 earlier sexual? on i thought you were saying central oh no and no. it's sensual Sen- and i just want to make sure that people sensual. know what you're describing because erotic massage sensual oh, how about nice. erotic okay. erotic is that That's, more clear people i i'm enjoying it maybe <laughs> erotic we'll be right back <laughs> this is tna talk sex i'm t and i'm a And we're back with TNA Talk Sex. Uh, Such a riveting show topic with Dylan Brody. Thank you for bringing your honesty and openness on this subject. I just strive to not suck. (laughs) Well, you do well. Well, I sorry, my mind was like, well, or suck some things. I know it's like there, like there's so many directions I could go with that one. One, Yeah, do you? So you never suck anything. One time in high school, and I still can't get the taste out of my mouth. (laughs) I like it. Um, okay, so we so I had a top ten, 10 list of fetishes, yeah. um, and yes, and so the number one was what T had mentioned, which was a foot fetish. Foot fetish. I feel like I want to become a foot fetishist. Like I said, I, there's some mastery to it where I, I almost admire the, the I think you should, praise. I think you should take that on. Yeah, I'm like I'm curious because I think there's so much to be gained from a love of your foot. <laughs> I attract a lot of foot fetishists because I guess I have pretty feet. I also have rings on them. I was praised for the simplicity of my foot once. He noticed I had no nail polish on and he said, oh, I love just that nude toe. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) But I was like, well, thank you. I do nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It is amazing to me, though, how how often like, honestly, I feel almost like every guy is is wired for this. I see it so often. And even I can watch guys in a public setting and they're looking at shoes too, always. Like it's it's just really common. Okay, Although so. women invest a lot in their shoes, which is interesting. Like there's sort of a mainstream. Right. There's a thing less, going on here. Right. Yeah. It's not so like no one's like, oh, I'm a foot fetishist, but the focus on that area. Right. That's interesting in a very more mainstream commercial way. And what does it mean that the Chinese would bind them? <laughs> so much uh-huh. there. Okay. Repression. Moving on. <laughs> Voyeurism is number two. Is that a fetish? Like, yeah. Anything some people, could be a fetish. No, some people really. I mean, that's I the, mean, a, they a, take a, it to a high okay, art. A p- Paraphilia. Paraphilia. Yeah, no, they take it to a high art of like, you know, voyeuristic sex. Number three would be latex or rubber and vinyl, that kind of a thing, like wearing. It's true. I can't say I'm 
that doesn't get me off. So I've never tried it. It does nothing for on me, it. but when you say it, I can find the smell. And yeah. I'll bet that's what it's connected a to. There, the smell. I'll Part bet of it's it. an olfactory thing. And the feel. Mm. And the feel, maybe. I can, you know what sounds enticing is um, getting spanked with latex. Yeah, I'm thinking of like a red latex bum in front of me right now and how I just want to spank it. You know, I also, when I... Like a slap of a hand would be... Yeah, I get that. We yeah. have shows where I, we've explored a little more of the BDSM mindset and like where that's coming from. Well, that's next, number four. Well, because, but <laughs> we talk about it in the culture and I, but I could see the vinyl thing, almost the texture of it creating like a, a reverberation that would feel good. Right. You know, I, start, I like oh, to yeah. break it down okay. in this way of like sensorially, you're like, oh, cool. And maybe that, well, you know... That's what's fun about a fetish, actually, is that there are all these weird details that that become important yeah. and they're different for different people. Which which specific details of a given fetish are the ones? But yeah, look, I, I love the that. chewy texture of candy corn, uh, and I have great shame around it. <laughs> <laughs> And I eat whole bags of it during the fall season. And that's to be the autumn you're mix. Say during sex. No, I mean, I, may, I might, I might get, maybe I'd get a lot of pleasure out of it. Maybe like, you know, I could, I could oh get permission God. to eat the candy corn while being fucked. And maybe I would orgasm oh more frequently. Okay. You know what? I'm st- I was just thinking of like, you have to be October for our TNA calendar and we're going to just shower oh, yeah. you with candy corn and <laughs> put you in a very, oh my God, like a tub of candy position. corn. Love it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so after BDSM, which is number four, there's body piercing. Number five, number six. Oh, body piercing is also sensations. I mean, since, you know, so but I remember also, dating guys that had like tongue rings and it was like so fun to kiss. And Right. Well, so they were talking about that, like uh, feeling the metal on the skin. And then also people are aroused even just by seeing other people with piercings, just actually having the piercing. That's interesting. I never. So again, I don't think I it ended up. I feel like any when I was younger, there were like things that were triggers. Like I was turned on by men with piercings, even though I never really wanted to have my own. And and then it sort of like once I explored it, it kind of fizzled like there wasn't a focus on it. And so, yeah, I, I dated guys where in some ways you wouldn't think we'd be a pair. But I was like, mm, 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 piercings, tattoos, nothing for me. But the men with the piercings were I was a thing for a little while. Hmm. Neat. Huh? I said neat. It was neat. Um, the next one. And this will surprise you guys, but it's breasts and behinds. And which is actually called S- surprising because to me that's just sex. right. It's like is that <laughs> exactly? But 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 the, again, the whole thing being that if you cannot get off, oh right, without boobs in front of your face or whatever or uh, or a bum, if you cannot like if you're dependent on it, then it's I and guess that this is, is a, that is one of the most accepted and yes. acceptable fetishes. I suppose right. so. Yeah. And, and yeah, actually, point. since I'm a, um, I did look up the name of it. Is uh, for behinds is. Pi- I'm going to say pygophilia because pigophilia just sounds awful. Oh, the, the, how to but it's P Y G. Pig? Pigophilia? Can we. S- Pygo. I see what you're saying. You don't want to. You wanna, know what I mean? I don't, don't want to say like the pigophilia. Phrase, yeah. Anyway. Go with pygophilia. Pygophilia. Little pigophilia. Um, and then number seven is hair. Um, Actually, I have to say. Hair I, on women. I've talked about this. I find that I. Like ponytails and pigtails and like hair oh, on the head. Interesting. I, I like women with hair. <laughs> <laughs> I also like women without any hair. When a woman is bald, sexy. I really want to just go. Could I? Could I play with your head? Yeah. Can I, I just stroke you? Can I pet you? Can I pet you? Well, there's but also a boldness. That's, that's in not it. creepy at all. That's, that's not appropriate to do. You know, when you're just waiting for someone at the cancer ward. <laughs> oh. oh. Um, Wait, what was the one you read right before that? Bre- breasts and behind. Oh yeah, I feel like I I have this almost like a sensitivity to like I date men that seem to their the butt is of course love that makes sense sexually like what you would grab onto and the, around the genitals but i'm always like 
my breasts, you know, like I don't like I like that. I find you attract men that don't that like, yeah, you're like, like almost don't appreciate. You're like, that I have a full tea. rack. Yeah, I got a rack. Yeah, appreciate. Yeah, and they're and they're all about I would the, feel the same way if I had men who didn't appreciate. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, the, you the know, they're focused on the, uh, the number eight is cross dressing, and I have had experience with this one. I oh had, yeah, uh, yeah. I I had a guy who um who like he totally straight uh and just you know it was interesting though because he he uh is, is was extremely sensitive with his his skin. Like his skin was just so, so, so hypersensitive where like literally any touch, I'm just lightly, barely touching T's arm, would just send him to the moon. Like you mm. could barely touch this man and he, he was just so, so sensitive. So I think it was a sensory thing for him to, to feel women's underwear as he wore them. I oh, explored yeah. uh, and was interested in cross-dressing when I was 12 or 13 yeah. Um. And for a while, thought, oh, I need to have a sex change operation. I need to be a woman. Is what I need. Um. And then uh, you kind of went, no, yeah, no, not so much. Um. And I'm glad I didn't really in any way Did commit to it because then I would have, you know, then I would have had to really figure out who my identity is later. It made my life much <laughs> easier that that's not what I wound up. <laughs> yeah, was that like, like a that's very a lot of effort thing, or it was just a couple of years? I was just into it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, you know what is interesting? I have this one memory of. Get it? I was I was having sex with this guy, and I kind of there were issues. Like I wasn't that into him in certain ways, and I remember he um, once we were naked, he had a like a gold cross on, like a chain with a gold cross. That's a put off to me right away. Frankly, <laughs> I know, no, yeah, I, know. I know, and I, I thought it would be too. But I I went to Catholic school growing up, and I and I really hadn't tapped into it. I kind of had moved, so I moved away from it. Do you still have the skirt? No, no, I don't. Oh. <laughs> uh, I have a cheerleading uniform though, but that was for a sketch I did, and and but I I wore it at Burning Man, and it was very popular. <laughs> um, no, but I I remember the cross swinging over my head while he was on top of me, right, like above me, and um and all of a sudden I got off, <laughs> and uh, and it was yeah, and I went oh because I was almost not that into it at first, and I was having a hard time focusing. I'm like not that into him, and then something about it, I was like oh this is kind of naughty, like ah uh, like yeah, and it and it fed into I feel like what could have manifested it into a fetish but again I, there's something about maybe because I didn't have a lot of shame around it like I it's like I explored it and then that didn't get me off again it was like just that one time was like oh like bad and then I needed new stimulus I mean perhaps my my issues I always kind of have to have like newness you know it's forging a path into the into the unknown new, and then new I'm like relationship smell new relationship yeah yeah smell. so, so a- I'm gonna call that I'm gonna call it the new relationship fetish <laughs> new relationship. They so, call that fear of commitment. What? Yeah, well, it's all how you phrase it. <laughs> it's all about the spin. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 I feel like we just breezed over your cross-dressing thing, but I feel like that's really... Do you want to go into more about that or no? I don't, I don't no? think there's that much okay. more to go into. Right. I was I feel, into it for good. a minute, and then I kind of went, yeah, no. I feel like uh, it's I love becoming more and more accepted. You love what? Eddie Izzard. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. I think he's yeah. a genius. Comedian. He, he, but he dresses in drag he on stage. Yeah, cross oh. dress. Yeah. But he's, he's not in drag. He's just, uh, he's a man who cross. cross dresses and wears makeup. It's it's sort of like watching B. Arthur yeah. do do comedy. He's wonderful. Though. Is he he's straight? A genius. Yeah. I was going to say, he, right, yeah. he doesn't, ide- he identifies as heterosexual. He's, he's heterosexual. Yeah. And he talks about the cross dressing because mm. you have to. But, uh, but yeah, it's he, he normalizes it in a way, in very much the same way that I want to normalize my fetish by talking about it shamelessly. He just kind of says, okay, this is who I am. That's great, yeah. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, number nine, guys. Okay, this was interesting to me. Uh, water, thunder, and lightning. 
Okay, hmm. now now here's the thing for me is that because it was described as that anyone who hears the sound of rushing water or thunder, the clap of lightning, that it like it uh, uh, sets them off and arouses them. But all of these things, I mean, I get this because, and this is just science. This isn't like spiritual energy, but just the, like thunder and lightning. These things are they're they're earth and they're elements, and they move through us. Well, they're, and, yeah, exciting. Yeah, so I feel like that totally makes sense. So I mean, it's it not is that a fetish or is that just being a sensual? body yeah a lot of these remind me of your senses just the stimulation of senses which brings us back to puritanical america judging and framing and uh, and labeling right uh anything that gives you sensory pleasure it depends on whether you need it to get off or not i know but why is that a bad thing wait it's like it's like getting off is healthy for you that's what i mean it's like get off it's so good for you said it's a bad thing i know well i guess i'm responding to sort of a general air of our you know a cultural judgment yeah Uh, yeah and And, again well and it gets so ingrained in the zeitgeist that we don't even notice we're doing it. Yeah. Because all we're talking about is a list of what the top 10 fetishes are. And your thought is, why is that a bad thing? Right. It's not. It's just yeah. one of the top 10 things. You know, I get, when, no, but, but, but again, for me, it goes down to this whole, if we're enslaved by it, by anything, yeah. then it just makes me question. It doesn't, no, mean, it's, doesn't mean that it's wrong and shameful. Like, I certainly don't, I'm not like... Dylan you're wrong for thinking I don't you know what I mean yeah, it's no, no. not well it's almost like self-reflection that allows you to be a, a, hap- a happier more content self right like I know but but you touched on that and you illuminated on that earlier and, and that was very and thank you for that there was a moment in your story about your father in that moment when you first saw this person with an amputated foot mm-hmm. and um I, I thought about what you described between your father and mother and how and how it's like a charged energetic moment and how that creates a thrill and maybe even higher cortisone levels and and like the kind of what you're talking about a eh, with with thunder something that creates a, a, a an imprint in your mind because it's jarring or shocking it's charged it's uh, a moment where i'm learning what is considered adrenaline. wrong to look at right but um, the adrenaline rise imprints it as something thrilling and it was a moment when i possibly the first moment when i saw my father have real power over my mother Mm. when he really said something that startled her and made her uncomfortable yeah as opposed to everybody making sure that she's okay right because i think but i think i'm and that and to me that's like the very psychological analysis of it and i think i'm something that stood out to me was almost this anatomical response to it that so maybe that is more like the animal or something that you're talking about but but that that there is almost like a you can almost explain like why that would leave a firm impression on a number of levels like right. and what yeah, i'm saying yeah, is sort yeah. of that that to experience thrill or uh as you know creates a strong memory and then that's that is a, a trigger that is tied to arousal because arousal is you know thrill i don't know does I mean, thrill sort of, of a colloquial word but and i don't know if it's true for women as well as men but part of me thinks that uh men there's a certain point when uh, whatever the particular hormone is starts to flood the body and whatever the hell is going on at that moment <laughs> is it forever and it's pure luck so you know if you happen to be in the back seat while dad is changing a tire on the side of the freeway <laughs> yeah, right. yeah that, that you have too bad to... guy now you got to be getting flat tires anytime <laughs> you want to come <laughs> that's interesting though yeah it's almost like he, a hormonal human development process he and can just, come but he know. never gets there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, so uh, uh number 10 and then i there's a oh. one more note oh my that God. i wanted i know the last one was just okay. was uh, and then one thing i wanted to Go ahead. mention but uh furries which 
you know, furries. Yeah, I don't. I don't know much. About I don't. It. I don't. I don't. I don't, I, I don't get why that would do I don't it. Either. And also, it's uh, kind of fun. Having, I mean, having once had to had to wear one of those, uh, the the insides of them smell so bad. Yeah, very hot. <laughs> I feel I, it would be traumatizing. Oh God, to have I, an orgasm or sexual yeah. experience within that environment. Okay, but like, costumes and dressing up is really fun oh, yes. and gives you a sense of oh, role yes. playing and 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 maybe takes away the sense of responsibility. I'm a big in fan your life. of the costumes yeah. and the role playing. Yeah, yeah. You know what? comes to mind though actually for furries is this whole maybe it has something to do with cartoons or this whole like cartoon land manga and and that world of it's not real yeah right possible yeah maybe i don't know i don't know it's just something that came to mind um and also like we talked about the pavlovian conditioning sort of being associated you guys were just with Mm -hmm. the the tire Mm -hmm. (laughs) don't orgasm when your dad's when you're in the backseat um but also they were talking about uh, online um and this is where it comes in with like where the stereotype of it being fetishes being uh, a sign of a criminal or a sicko or something is because um, people who who experience childhood trauma would self self soothe with certain anything. And that could then lead to some sort of strange fetish or sure paraphilia. Yeah. Nicely done. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I do. I, anyway, so that was the other explanation that was given for the origin. Of I suppose in fetish. a normal way, when I was a kid, I I masturbated a lot to soothe. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I, I think sure there's stress, like the stress, so you masturbate. I mean, I don't know. It probably still to this day. I mean, we talk about. It, I'm like, oh, I have back knots. I haven't had sex in two weeks. You know, it's like a stress. I mean, but it is. It is fundamentally, physically, a stress reliever. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's our kind of natural regulator in our bodies. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about. You know, when we had Jean Franz blow on, she talked about sort of the orgasmic meditation. Her. Oh, She's you know great. her, yeah. So I am cool. So fond of her. What a hip chick. I have I, I have a real crush on her. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, she's lovely. But but yeah, this sort of the orgasmic meditation that she talks about. And I think there's because there's sort of a therapy in it. I mean, it's it's your. And what would happen if we meditated when we were in stressful situations? Only. When we were kids, you know, cat. like instead oh, of yeah. like self-soothing originally mm. and programming ourselves with orgasm. I'm, I'm just mm. curious. Yeah. It's a curious. It's a, I'm, it's a genuine question. Anyway, lots to be explored. Uh, I think that yeah that that's our show up? you guys are awesome thank you for having thank me you. on thank and you and I want to say Dylan thank you so much because I, I had a lot of re- real genuine questions about all of this and I'm really grateful for you sharing your story it really gave me a, a huge perspective that I just would never probably have known yeah you can ask me so anything you. any old time just call me and say <laughs> hey got a question Okay. And then I'll just blurt out an answer. Awesome. <laughs> Unless I'm in the middle of teaching small children martial arts. Okay. In which case I might say, we have to talk about this later. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. I can handle that. All right. Okay. Putting it in my speed dial. You're the coolest. <laughs> okay. On that note, um, you can go to stephanieallen.com slash massage to get, the, to get on the waiting list for uh, my wonderful and funny and hot videos on how to give an amazing erotic massage mm-hmm. um because it's a great training ground to become a more sensual lover and it's also fun and it adds a completely different experience between you and your partner sexually um so i'm happy to share all that with after you after the new smell is gone very soon yeah right once the new smell or if you're just getting to know someone it's also a great way to help to um play Deep seduce and get to know yeah so um yes and advice at tatalksex.com for anything that's come up for you from this episode other shows we've done uh or just questions that are not related and especially 
to get your questions in for the end of the month episode. Yes, we have one coming up at the end of November. We do. And uh, and then, of course, um, thank you, Dylan Brody, for being on our show. You can find uh, Dylan. Thank you for having me. Yes. I played the part of Dylan Brody throughout this broadcast. Um, You deserve an Academy Award for that one. That was amazing. It was really accurate. I feel like it was a really great... uh, DylanBrody.com. DylanBrody.com. And you can also um, download your CDs and and, um, at Amazon and also at Rooftop Comedy. So... Thank you. Join us on social media uh, at TA Talk Sex to share um, any and all thoughts, yeah. questions. And and this was episode things. 121 of TNA Talk Sex because sex isn't ever just about sex. Mm-hmm.